0: The Christmas story is a gift that keeps on giving. One night in this small town called Bethlehem, a baby was born, and now there are countless songs, books, foods, traditions, and now podcast seasons, you're welcome, created in honor of it. Not to mention movies. This year alone, Hallmark made 40 brand new Christmas movies. 40 just this year. Why? Why honor the birth of a baby? Well, because that baby grew up to say some utterly compelling things. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. God. The way up is down. The way forward is back. The way to greatness is to serve. There is something to that. Somewhere deep down, buried beneath our ego, our drive for power, fame, or control, the human soul knows that humility is the way forward. I think we're drawn to celebrating the birth of the Prince of Peace because deep down, No matter what you believe, we all want the same thing. Peace. We just want to be okay. And so we go to great lengths to celebrate that night in Bethlehem. The irony, of course, is true peace isn't found in doing more. It's found in letting go. Or as that baby would later say, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will find it.
1: Welcome to Stories in Scripture, a podcast dedicated to telling the big story of the Bible, one piece at a time. This season, join us as we explore a familiar story through those who experienced it firsthand and learned the true meaning of the birth of Jesus. This is a Christmas story. The first hours of day in Nazareth rarely come with fanfare. The fishing boats make their way to the shore, pulling in the last nets from a night on the water. The street vendors begin to set up their wares to tempt the fishermen. As the light turns the black of night to the steel blue of dawn, the men begin chatting idly. Children run with the recklessness and ease of youth, laughing at unseen worlds. The town begins to wake with the sun. The day brings noise and smell and heat and dust, but for now all is quiet and dark. Mary cherishes these moments. The clamor and haste of the town can be exciting, but the morning light calms Mary, settling and refocusing her soul for the day to come. To the east, the sun slips above the horizon. The soft smile returns to Mary's face. The promise of day brings joy to her. It reminds her that darkness only serves as a herald for the light. She wonders if others feel this way about dawn. A rush of air from the doorway blows her clothes tight against her. She turns to find the cause. Mary's heart stops still in her chest. The light outside shines with an impossible intensity as if it had come alive. But everything else has disappeared. No smells of fish. No sound of children. Just endless stillness. Mary notices none of this. In the corner of her small home stood an impressive and imposing presence. An angel of the Lord. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary seeks her breath in the joy and glow of the voice. It flows like clear water and floods the house with unspeakable warmth. So filled with light that Mary shrunk from it.
0: What have I done? Luke 1.26 tells us God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. That single sentence tells us three really important things. First, this is no ordinary angel. This is Gabriel, whose name means God is my strength or mighty one. This angel has seen a lot. He was the one communicating with Daniel all those years ago. And, of course, he just met Zechariah in the temple. So when Gabriel is on assignment, you know it's serious business. Second, the verse says God himself sent Gabriel. There wasn't a chain of commands, no memos being faxed around up in heaven. This message came directly from God. And third, Mary lives in Nazareth a humble fishing town on the north side of Israel, not on the map, and certainly not the type of hometown you'd expect the savior of the world to grow up in.
1: The air in the room moves again. Mary breathes deep, her lungs filled with a comforting presence. Mary had avoided looking at the angel. She feels compelled to now. She saw something shift, soften in its countenance. Without words, Mary understood that the angel, terrible and powerful, was a salve to her spirit, healing a wound she was not aware of until this moment. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Mary wanted the voice to go on forever. She wanted to wrap it around her and rest in its peace. Then the words made their way to her. She stood speechless and troubled. Me? Favor with God? Why me? To a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and we'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end.
0: What did you notice from our second of four encounters? First things first, we have our starting point again do not be afraid. Before we proceed, you have to know that God is here, that God is for you, and that you don't have to be afraid. Mary, like all the others, starts with fear and then Gabriel actively tries to change a deeply rooted fear in the human psyche. It's like he's rewiring us. God is good and God is with us. It's awfully hard to experience true peace without first getting that. And no, I don't care that I'm over making my point. Now, a few observations on this encounter. First, Mary is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Miriam, which means exalted one. If you know your Old Testament, you know Miriam was the sister of Moses. So she was a part of the family that brought God's people out of slavery and into Freedom, nudge, nudge, hint, hint, Next, Gabriel says this son will be called the son of the most high or son of God, which became a common name used to address Jesus. Then he said the boy will receive the throne of David. Which is incredibly important because a thousand years earlier, God made a covenant with David that the Messiah would come from his line and that his kingdom would have no end. And finally, Gabriel points out this king will reign over Jacob's descendants. Another way to say all 12 tribes or every one. In other words, Gabriel knows his Old Testament really well. Or maybe he just took really detailed notes when God gave him the message. Or maybe said different, the divine has had a plan this entire time. The birth of Jesus isn't just another event. Everything has been leading up to this moment. Like when you learn what a horcrux is in book six of the seven Harry Potter books, and suddenly the first five books start to make total sense. And then you wonder and debate with your friends if J.K. Rowling knew what she was doing all along, except this time the answer is clearly yes. All of scripture is on purpose. The whole thing has been woven together brilliantly to lead to the Prince of Peace. When Luke sits down to write this story to his friend Theophilus, he takes the time to include all these details so that thousands of years later, as we sit on the edge of our seats wondering what is going to happen next, we too can be reminded that the Prince of Shalom came to restore peace to earth. How can this be, Mary asks,
1: her mind racing to find ground, since I am a virgin. A look flashes gently over the angel's face. Mary realizes the angel is amused. This is no ordinary work of God. The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your cousin, is going to give birth in her old age. No word of God will ever fail. Mary struggled to understand, to speak, to think. She knew something holy was to take place, holiness and promise. Mary didn't know what to do. I am the Lord's servant, she says simply, may your word be fulfilled. The angel smiled, a terrifying joy smiling. It was clear why god had chosen mary gabriel leaves in the same rush of air as before the noise and commotion of the town burst in again mary stands in shock unable to move suddenly she dashes out of her door she heads toward the road to judea and elizabeth she was near the edge of town before she remembered how long a journey it was she stops in the middle of the road and takes a deep breath settling her soul her heart. She laughs and turns, rushing back to prepare for the long trip.
0: Here's a quick thought experiment. Think about a really close relationship you have. Could be a spouse, parent, friend, or whatever. Got it? Good. Now imagine you get into a really heated debate with that person that ends poorly. You both storm off for an hour, a day, a month, or whatever it is, and once you cool down, you realize that your relationship is no longer whole. You both have things you're angry about, things you're confused about, and things you feel bad about, and so it can't just be business as usual because your relationship is not whole. It's unsettling and the opposite of peace. Now, to understand the rest of this story, we need to understand something about this word, peace. Today the word basically means the absence of violence, but the Hebrew word shalom is way bigger than that. Shalom is used to describe something that is made whole or complete, like a completed puzzle with no missing parts. Everything is in order. So when you have a falling out with a loved one, your relationship has lost its state of wholeness. Now, here's the really good news. There is this amazingly beautiful process called restoration. When you're both ready, you come together and spend as long as you need to putting your relationship back together. Through honesty and humility and forgiveness, it's like you can both rebuild your relationship back to a state of wholeness. Super useful imagery because think about that broken relationship on a macro scale and you've got a great picture of Israel in the first century. A story that started in a state of shalom in a garden has broken down. Now humans are at each other's throats, they're angry, ignorant, and confused, and the result is the opposite of peace. Enter the Prince of Shalom the Prince of Wholeness, the Prince of Completion. He comes in and begins putting all the pieces back together. Go read the Gospels and watch what Jesus is up to. He restores relationships by casting out demons. He restores health by healing the sick. He restores life by opening the eyes of the blind. He restores dignity back to social outcasts by sitting down and having meals with them. On and on we could go. Jesus picked up all the pieces and restored the world to wholeness because that's what the Prince of Peace does. Remember that because we're closing in on our second key to experiencing true shalom.
1: Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Zechariah's eyes open abruptly. The angel and his words echo as clear as the moment he heard them vibrating in his chest. The clammy sweat mixes with the dust, his cloak pasted to his skin. He shakes his head and turns back to his work. He traces the intricate decorations of the temple with his finger. He had never noticed how detailed the figures were. He has been noticing a lot more lately. It must come with silence. When the tongue is stilled, the eyes strengthen. He smiles. The silence no longer bothers him. It lets him attend to the world in a way he had never known. The months since the angel's visit had passed swiftly, Elizabeth was pregnant. Incredibly, absurdly, wonderfully. He is amazed every day. The voice comes back to him every day. A vibrant memory. He wonders if the angel will ever return. Zechariah still walked around the temple with the same enthusiasm and passion as before, but it had settled into a sense of humility and obedience. No longer did Zechariah want the most prestigious work, the flashiest position, He was content to perform the small duties the minor sacrifices he was more aware than most how important such tasks are he is mindful of how big the most menial tasks can be god does not scoff at the daily humble offerings of his people the priests were wrong the altar of incense isn't god's favorite part of the temple it was those who came to offer their all He knew this because Gabriel had placed before Zechariah the most important task he could ever have. To be the father to the man who would usher in a revival to the people of Israel. And yet, not to usher in that revival himself. He was asked to perform the most important task he ever would, and it was not he that was most important. Zechariah smiled to himself as he goes about his day. He passes by an entrance to the courtyard and sees a young woman hurrying by. Isn't that Mary? He watches her as she rushes towards his home, determined and resolute.
0: Have you ever tried to swim against a strong current? It's exhausting. Well, for years, when it came to following Jesus, I had the mentality that the world was falling apart and it was my job to put it all back together, as if I was swimming against a current. And if I took a day or a week off, we'd be moving backward. However, and this is massively important, if Isaiah was right and that fateful night in Bethlehem, we welcomed the Prince of Peace into the world, then guess what? Working to bring peace into the world is not swimming against the current. It's floating with the current. Because now the Creator's great creation is actually working to return to a state of Shalom. Think about it. Mary's just living her life. And then an angel interrupts her with a message that without Mary doing anything, new life was quite literally heading in her direction. See, you can carry the weight of the world on your shoulders for a little bit, but eventually it leaves you burnt out and exhausted. However, if you realize that the spirit is moving this whole thing forward, then the burden is off your shoulders and you are freed up to join in and participate. By the way, even quantum physicists are coming out with findings about the universe's default setting being healing and Wholeness, that at a quantum level, it's all working to return to shalom. In other words, scientists are beginning to write books and articles that agree with a letter Paul wrote 2,000 years ago when he said that through Christ, God is reconciling all things back to Him. So we aren't swimming against the current trying to establish peace. We're actually floating down a lazy river, enjoying the view and helping out where we can as the Prince of Peace does what the Prince of Peace does best. Now, I know, I can hear the objections coming from a mile away and yes, of course it feels like the opposite is true sometimes. And yes, it is two steps forward and one step back, but If you want a snapshot of where things are heading, go read Revelation 21. And spoiler alert, it's really good news. This whole thing is heading in the direction of peace. And I'm telling you, receive that. Start to actually believe it and you'll start to enter into some true shalom. So step one, do not be afraid because God's not angry. And now step two, do not fret because God's the one moving this whole thing forward, making all things new. By the way, when Mary starts to realize this, she does the only thing there is left to do. Like a scene straight out of a musical, she breaks out into song. mary bursts into the home of
1: zechariah and elizabeth she stands just inside her breath deep and ragged her eyes wide and brimming with joy elizabeth elizabeth mary rushes to her cousin and grasps her hands i have so much to tell you elizabeth had been alone since she became pregnant though secluded she rested in the comfort of her growing child she knew that god's favor had come and that her disgrace had gone When her cousin spoke, her whole body began to quiver. She felt a spirit run up her spine. The baby in her womb, it moved. But that can't be. She was months away from birth. The baby leaps for joy. The baby leaps for joy. Thought and words came simultaneously. Elizabeth began to speak words she barely recognized as they left her. She clasps Mary's hands tightly and begins to spin with her young cousin. Blessed are you among women! Blessed is the child you bear!" Mary stops in awe. She covers her mouth with her hands, eyes shining with glee. "'How did you know?' Mary exclaimed. "'But why am I so favored that the mother of my lord should come to me?' Elizabeth continued over Mary's question. The two women stare at one another, beaming, laughing. Suddenly Mary stands back and begins to sing. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Elizabeth watches, bewildered. The tune seemed to emanate from the very earth itself. Though Elizabeth could only see Mary singing, more voices than could possibly come from such a young woman resonated through the house. Joy itself joins the chorus. Something had changed in Mary, Normally, such a reserved and quiet woman introspective, observant. Not today. Her eyes sparkle with new life. Her movement has clear purpose. Mary's song continues, the melody filling the room. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Elizabeth listens with delight. The words come softly but brightly. The notes rich and sweet learned such things about God, such profound words about Yahweh. She's not the same meek young cousin I have known. Mary continues unaware of Elizabeth, the house, or even the earth beneath him. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors.
0: So what happened that fateful night in Bethlehem? Well, now we have the second piece of the puzzle. The Prince of Shalom is on his way, so don't be afraid because God is restoring and rebuilding all things. But there's still a few problems. The first is Joseph, you know, the man Mary was engaged to. He wasn't even mentioned in Luke 1. What's going on in his mind? Not to mention, the Savior is supposed to come from Bethlehem and Nazareth is a long way from Bethlehem where our shepherd friends are still at work, faithfully keeping watch over their flock at the end of another day.
1: The sun begins its westward journey over the hills outside Bethlehem. The air settles into a cold, clear explosion of sunset. The green hills darken, shadows throwing their shapes deep into the little valleys where the shepherds find shelter for the night. The two shepherds on top of one hill, grandfather and grandson, decide to take in the night and the open. The young shepherd moves quickly, eager to finish his day. His favorite time approaches with the setting sun, talks under the stars with his grandfather. In his haste, he stumbles over a young lamb who bleats weakly. The young boy lets out a yop under his breath as he makes his way to where his grandfather sits. He is on edge, tonight especially. When will all of this take place? The knowing smile returns to his grandfather's kind face. The boy takes in his papa. He rarely looks at the old man. He notices how weathered and worn the skin is on his hands. The way the fingers curl around the staff, subtle grooves from decades of using it to drive the sheep. For the first time, he is struck by how old his grandfather is, yet the wrinkles around his eyes and mouth echo youth youthful of mirth, a specter of life spent laughing, and sorrow, both held in place by the joy of something that eludes the younger shepherd. The young shepherd has asked. This question of himself and his friends' untold times recently. His audacious desire for the voice of God to be heard among his generation boils inside of him. His feet and hands rarely stay still these days. His grandfather places a knotty hand on his knee to settle it. You know, a thousand years ago, another shepherd boy asked these same questions in these same hills. The boy leans closer to his grandfather. He knew the story to come, he loved it. The story of David, Israel's king. Giants felled, victories in battle, a king and a man after God's own heart. The old man knew his grandson wanted to hear that story, but he also knew that's not what the young man needed to hear. Night after night, the young shepherd watched his flock. It would not have been easy at first, the frustration of the sheep straying, defying his cries in their ignorance, the long days, the sleepless nights, cold, hot, rain, wind. He endured all of these because he knew what his duty to the sheep had to be. He was all that stood between them and the lions and bears that lusted for flesh and blood. He had to do without so that his sheep could survive. He had to learn to fight for his flock, even if the flock could never understand his sacrifice or love. The boy listened impatiently as his grandfather told his grandson about the young David. He looked ardently for the old shepherd to get to the good stuff. The old man looks at him, amused. The boy can't hold himself back any longer. But what about the rest? The battles? The victories? What about it that's the good part of david's story that's what matters son every man or woman who has ever been so blessed to be used by god all of your heroes of old had to learn to grow to grow in their love for god and for his creation do you remember what weapon david used to defeat goliath not the sword not the spear but the same sling he carried with him in these hills the same skill honed defending his flock well yes but he learned to be faithful with the small things the grandfather picked up the lamb the boy had tripped over and soothed its wool and so god called him to greater things what good is it to gain the world but lose yourself that way lies misery. Don't be so eager to move past the small beginnings. Every story starts somewhere. The best ones start somewhere humble. Thanks for listening to this episode of Stories in Scripture. To find out more about the project, visit our website, storiesinscripture.com. Follow us on Instagram at Scripture or on Twitter at SIS project and please rate and review us on iTunes